Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. It's good to see you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Um, I want to thank Pastor Matt for the opportunity to stand here on this platform and bring forth the Word of God to the people that God has entrusted you with. We've loved you for so long. We don't know where we would be, honestly. We don't know where we would be if it had not been for Colonial Church. All the praise to God, but thank you for your leadership and your compassion and love. Well, as you know, this is Palm Sunday, and it's the first day that launches Holy Week. And if you don't know what Holy Week is, Holy Week is a series of events that take place in Jerusalem during the last week of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. He cleansed the temple for the second time. He met with his disciples and instituted communion. He kind of argued with the Pharisees over his own authority. He told people about the end times and what was going to be taking place and when it was going to happen. He was betrayed, crucified, and he rose again ultimately on Easter Sunday. That's what takes place during Palm Sunday. But what I want to talk to you about today is just today. Not going to be forecasting what's going on next week or the week after or something like that, but just today, I want us to focus on Palm Sunday. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, and I'd like you to focus on the screen behind me and notice what the Word of God says. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees, palms, and spread them on the road. Jesus was the center. Say center. Jesus was the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting. Somebody shout. Say, yeah. This is what was going on. This is Jesus is riding in on a donkey. Thousands of people all over him entering into Jerusalem. And this is what they're saying with loud voices. Oh, and by the way, if you don't like loud music, you may not like heaven. <laughs> so I'd reconsider, right? Because read Revelation chapter 5. You'll find out exactly how loud it's going to be when every kindred, every tongue, every tribe is going to praise the name of Jesus Christ for saving their souls, healing their bodies, giving them a future, and writing their names in the Lamb's book of life, it will be loud. Promise you. It's going to be fun, too. Heaven's going to be fun. So I forgot where I stopped now. They were shouting, 
Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus. Simple, it's Jesus. People are gonna be asking questions this weekend. You know what we're gonna say to them? It's Jesus. It's not colonial, it's Jesus. Today I wanna preach a message to you about the seemingly insignificant things within our lives that are truly significant. The little things, the normal things, the things that we bypass. And if you're looking for a title, then the title of this message is Saddle Up. And the subtitle is The Significance of the Insignificant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are here this morning in your presence. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working in every heart and in every life here and where the kids are as well. Be with every worker, every child, every heart within this room. Father, may we hear from heaven today. Lord, we don't want just a bunch of words. We need to hear and feel you. We need you to act, just like Alana has said. We praise you and we thank you for that. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for our online community. We bless them. We thank you for them, for their support, for their diligence, for their faithfulness. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would meet with them in a very powerful way wherever they are watching this service right now. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Well, we tend to focus on the big things, and we kind of measure God's favor when we see big things happen within our lives. You know, I just got a brand new car, or we just got a brand new house, and we think, wow, God really blessed me. But sometimes we overlook the little things because we're always looking for the big things. Does that make sense? The significant things in our lives are truly significant. Otherwise, they wouldn't fit within that category. And the insignificant things or the seemingly insignificant things, they kind of just go by the wayside. You know, we take it for granted, or at least I do sometimes, just the very fact that I had a good night's sleep or I slept all the way through. I didn't keep myself breathing. God did. I didn't hold my hand in my own heart. God did. We think about the blessings that God brings to us, and I think if we were more grateful, if we were more, uh, uh, paid more attention to the insignificant things, our lives would be considerably different because it would build us up to expect more and greater and bigger things from Almighty God because we're already experiencing the little things that he's bringing within our lives. The little things are important. You know, like Jesus. Hey, there's a village over there. Go over there, and when you get to this street, you're going to go to this house. There's a donkey there with his mother. It's tied up. Go get it and bring it to me. Insignificant. We always bypass this. Typically, the only thing you hear about when it comes to the donkey is that Jesus rode a foal into Jerusalem. But today, I want to bring you seven points. <laughs> that I believe will help you. You're going to have to write these down, and we're going to go fast. This colt, this foal, this donkey will be our focus today. And because I believe that God uses this donkey in such a profound way that we will be able to identify with it. And because I love most of you and because I respect you, <laughs> I've decided to insert myself in place of the donkey in this story. And my wife said to me, she goes, that's not much of a substitution. <laughs> I know. 
Father, forgive her for she has sinned. Are you ready? Because we're going for it right now. That's it. That's your intro. Point number one, he sees me. God sees me. You see me. I see me. I see my reflection in a mirror, but you know what I see? I see something different than what I see. I see the sum total of my life's experiences. I see my wife. I see my children and my grandchildren and my friends. I see the day that I got saved. I see a lot of stuff, but guess what? God sees me. This is more important than you realize because in the world with nearly 8 billion people, God sees me. He sees me. He sees you as well. But he sees me. He, he, he's looking after me. He knows where I'm at. He sees me. Very similar to when Hagar was kicked out of the home of Abraham and Sarah and her and Ishmael were in the desert getting ready to die. She has this encounter with God. Notice what the Bible says in, uh, where am I? Gosh, I lost my place completely. Genesis chapter 16. He says, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God, say it with me, who sees me. Elbow the person next to you and say, God sees you. He sees us. I mean, your reaction was just like the disciples' reaction when Jesus said, go over there, go to that village, get that donkey, untie it, bring him to me. Yeah, okay, we'll do it. I mean, nobody ever thought about, how did he know that? Did, did he slip away and, and set up an arrangement with the owners of, that, of those animals? What did he do? How does he know that? He sees me. He sees where I am at. He knows who's with me. He knows my heart. He sees my life. God doesn't look at the outside like we see. God looks at the inside. And he sees me in my pain. He sees me beyond my sin. He sees me with all my mistakes. He sees me and he still loves me. Tell somebody he loves you. Tell him he loves you. Even though he sees you, sometimes I don't love me. When I see me. But the truth is, God sees me, and God loves me. I just think it's amazing that the things that God does for us every day are just little tokens of his love. Everything, the blue sky, even the clouds, the little things. We're so concerned about the big things and the significant things that we bypass the little things, and I don't even deserve those little things. Now, I don't want you to think for a moment that God is looking at you. See, that's impersonal. That's casual. God, God is looking. Uh, he, he sees you. He's not just looking at you. He sees you. That's personal. That's intimate. He, he knows my place. He knows where I am. He knows my insecurities. He goes beyond my face and looks deep into my heart. And he sees me. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord. What do you do with eyes? You see. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, back and forth, throughout the whole earth. And God is looking. He is seeking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God is looking for people to bless. God is looking. He's running throughout the entire earth looking for people who will say, yes, Lord, me, help me. I know you see me. I need you. 
And God comes into our lives and he says, I see you. Number two, not only does he see me, but God knows me. He knows me. Uh, sometimes I think I know myself, right? Uh, in fact, I thought I knew myself when we moved down from Connecticut to here, but then I discovered something else, myself. And guess what? I'll discover it in another five years, my true self. I, I thought I knew myself, but I don't know myself like I think I know myself, but he knows me. He knows you. He knows every little thing that I've ever done. He knows where I'm standing, where I'm sitting. He knows what I've been through. He knows my mistakes. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my fears. He knows the problems I have. He knows the things that I'm going through. He knows me. Listen to what it says here in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You're not just a number. You are significant. You are important. If anybody needs Jesus, it's all of us, and he sees all of us, and he knows us. When I'm standing at the crossroads of indecision, when I'm looking forward to my life and needing to know what to do, when I'm wrestling for answers in the middle of the night, he sees me, and he knows me, and he embraces me. I've come to realize that those little things, those little moments at night, those little things that we have that we overlook, those things are actually big things. There really are big things. Number one, he sees me. Number two, he knows me. Number three, he binds me. It might sound kind of unusual, but stay with me. He ties me. He locks me down. He holds me. He prevents me from going to a certain place. Look at Matthew 21, verse 2. You will see a donkey tied there. You'll see that donkey tied there. When the apostle Paul wanted to go to Asia to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. It said, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I thought Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, yet he's being prevented from going to Ephesus. He was being prevented from going to Ephesus then. There's a time. Don't you know that God works in time? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Uh, time and chance happen to all, Solomon says. So he sees me, he knows me, he binds me, he holds me in a place. They wanted to go to Ephesus to preach, but God said, no, not now. What was he doing? He was keeping them from going to Ephesus. He was withstanding them. He was forbidding them. And I don't know about you, but has there ever been a time in your life where you feel like you're just locked in, that you can't move anywhere? Very similar to that donkey tied to that post. He can go forward a little bit. He can go back a little bit. He can go to the left a little bit. He can go to the right a little bit. Hey, Macarena. And then what it does, and then it just stays there. I didn't know where that came from. And so... All right, now, calm down. Let's go. When, when I'm stuck, when I'm in a spot... When I can't go forward or backward or left or right, God's dealing with me. 
You know what he's saying? You know what God's saying? He's saying, let's not focus on the things outside of you. Let's focus on what's on the inside of you. Let's look at your heart. Let's deal with some of that pain. Let's deal with some of that trauma. Let's deal with some of that unforgiveness. Let's deal with some of that fear. Let's deal with some of that stuff that's going on. I want to build your faith up. I see you. I know you. And I'm going to hold you here until you're ready. A time is coming. Sometimes being tied up is a good thing. I was scheduled to go to Baghdad with about 15 other preachers, and my elders came in and said, no, don't do it. And I said, I want to do it. And they said, would you please pray one more day? And I said, I will. Then I canceled the trip. All of those pastors were killed. Every one of them. Why did God keep me there? So I could be alive, right? What about the other pastors? That's not my problem right now. What I'm saying to you is I know what God said to me, and I listened to him and responded. See, God holds us sometimes in places. What about the woman with the issue of blood? 12 years. The woman who was bent over. 18 years. Abraham and Sarah, 25 years waiting for them to come through. Some of you have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for God to come through. I am telling you, he has you bound up in a certain spot so that he can deal with your heart because he loves you. He's not punishing you. He's not mad at you. He is for you and he is behind you. That's the God that we serve. He he is just a matter of time. I may be tied up right now, but it's just a matter of time. You may be working two jobs right now, but it's just a matter of time. You may be lonely right now, but it's just a matter of time. You may be sick right now, but it's just a matter of time. You may feel disconnected, but it's just a matter of time. Look up, for your redemption draws near, Jesus said. We just know it's just a matter of time. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in. Do I have somebody listening to me today? Stand still and see the salvation of Almighty God. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Sometimes, sometimes it's a good thing to be tied up. It's only a matter of time. He sees me, he knows me, he binds me. And the fourth point is he unties me. He looses me. Notice, please, Matthew 21 and verse 2. Untie them and bring them to me. Untie them. He didn't say, go, go, go get the donkey. He said, untie them and bring them to me. That's important because there's a time that God has set where we will be untied. There's a time that God has set for you in your life where you'll be free. You may be dealing with something right now that you're too ashamed of even admitting it to other people. Can I tell you something? Your victory is on its way. It's just a matter of time. He sees you and he knows you and he binds you and he's holding you in a certain place, but there's gonna come a day where he's gonna send two disciples your way and they are going to untie you and they are going to bring you to Jesus because that's where the healing is, not with the disciples, but with Jesus. Can I get a good amen from that? Remember Lazarus dead in the grave for for four days and Jesus is talking to them. He's about to raise him from the dead. Look at John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. Now, when he had said these things, Jesus here, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
forth. And he who had died came out bound. Somebody say bound. Bound, hand and foot, unable to move with the grave clothes. You know, grave clothes are a symbol of our old sinful life. It's a symbol of what we used to be like. And when somebody comes to you, when you come to Jesus and a disciple comes to you, a lover of Jesus, and they start unwrapping things from you, don't get mad at them. Thank them for doing that. Can I get a good amen for that? Thank them. Thank them for loosing you. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. The time is coming. Your prayer is on its way. The answer is on its way. Read the book of Daniel, chapter 10. You will see that Daniel waited 21 days. He prayed and asked God for something, and then 21 days later, the angel of the Lord stood next to him and said, it took me 21 days to complete this because I was fighting with the, with the principalities and powers. And so when you pray, don't ever give up. It's on its way. Because just like Alana said this morning, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart, trust in the Lord and do good. He will do it within your life. Notice what the Bible says here. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26. I'm sorry, I'm way ahead of myself. Loose him and let him go. Now, let's go to the next point. He needs me. Me. It's almost laughable. Matthew 21 says, if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, say it out loud with me. The Lord needs them. Look at the person next to you and say, the Lord needs you. God doesn't need anything. He's self-existent. He has no need. He's not, he doesn't ever get thirsty. He's not hungry. He doesn't get bored. God doesn't need anything. But he does invite us in. He does say that he needs us. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 in the message version. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately, somebody say deliberately, chooses men and women that the culture overlooks? You know, cancel culture existed long before this past year or two years ago. We cancel ourselves. We, we, we take ourselves off the shelf. We remove ourselves from being used by God because we feel like we don't qualify. Well, guess what? You don't. Because God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. You've heard that before, and it's the truth. It amazes me that God would use somebody like me with my brokenness, and he still uses me. He needs me in my brokenness. There are times that God uses me even when I was bound. I didn't know that God could use people that weren't loosed yet, but he does because he values you, because he loves you, because you have a destiny and you have a purpose. He needs me. He sees me, he knows me, 
He binds me, he looses me. He needs me. And he protects me. Matthew 21.3 says, if anyone asks what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. Anticipating that this was going to take place, of course, Jesus, who knows all things and sees all things, told the disciples to use his name. And could you imagine if I walked into your yard and I got your brand new Bentley and I said, the Lord needs it. (laughs) I wonder what your reaction would be. So he says, don't go in your name, go in my name. Don't go in your name, go in my name. Look what the Bible says, please, in in Philippians chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 2. God also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him, Jesus, the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. We're not called to go fight in our name. We're to fight in his name. I'm not going to do life Bob's way because when I do life Bob's way, Bob messes everything up. Can I go to get a good amen? You know what that's like. You've been there. But when we do life in Jesus' name, when we wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Jesus. Just Somebody just say the name of Jesus. Do that. Jesus. Say it again, Jesus. Jesus. When you mention the name of Jesus, demons tremble. When you mention the name of Jesus, hell locks its gates again. When you mention the name of Jesus, light comes in. I'm talking about mentioning the name of the Son of God. The name that is above every name, higher than anything in the heaven and on earth, and every knee will bow to that. The name of Jesus. I'd recommend you starting the day with the name of Jesus. Roll over and say, Jesus. When you're in traffic, Careful now. (laughs) When you're in traffic, pray, Jesus. Don't say it, okay? Somebody's going to get the wrong idea. That name is so powerful. And I think, to my shame, and maybe it's our culture, I have no idea, but sometimes we... We, we relegate that name to the insignificant things because we say it so often, hear the name so often, but don't know what's behind that. And what's behind that is the power of heaven. And so Jesus is not just a name. He's not just an historical figure. Jesus is the power from on high that nothing can come against him. And it's Jesus the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. It's Jesus over your children. It's Jesus over your job. It's Jesus over your body. It's Jesus over your finances. The name that is above every other name. It's Jesus over cancer. It's Jesus over sickness. It's Jesus over lack. It's Jesus over confusion. It's Jesus over everything because he's got the highest name and everything must bow to that. So depression, bow to the name of Jesus. Cancer, Bow to the name of Jesus. Whatever it is that you're facing, bows to the name of Jesus. 
He protects me. Don't do war. Don't do battle in my name. Do it in the name of Jesus. Can I get a good amen from that? As the team comes up and as we prepare to close, the very last point is, number one, he sees me. Number two, he knows me. Number three, he binds me. Number four, he unties me. Number five, he needs me. And number six, he protects me. And number seven, he uses me. Matthew 21 They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let me teach you something very quickly. An often overlooked, insignificant portion of the Christian's life. Something that we think is maybe, um, you know, disposable, but it's not. And it's this principle, this dynamic, this discipline called praise. Praise. See, we are accustomed to praising when things go well. Isn't that right? Oh, God, thank you that you finally healed me. Thank you that that money came in. Thank you that I'm finally engaged. Thank you that I'm finally forgiven. Thank you for all these big things. But friend, can I tell you something? God wants to use you. God wants to bless you. One of the quickest ways for you to silence the enemy and the avenger is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens when you come in here on a Sunday morning and you hear the band, they're playing and we're worshiping. People have their hands raised. They might be crying. Their eyes may be closed. They may be touching their heart. They may be moving their feet. They may be swaying back and forth. Do you know what's happening to them? All week, we've accumulated junk. All week, we've taken stuff on and we come in here where the presence of God is. And when we're singing, when we're ministering to him, he ministers to us and washes that stuff away from us. That's the power of the presence of God. That's what happens when Jesus is in the midst. We see the power of praise. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 22 and verse 3. The Bible says, you sit as the Holy One. The praise of your people are your throne. The implication is not that he just sits down. That's not what it is. He sits down on his kingly throne, and he has all power, all authority with him right there. He is inhabiting our praises. He's not inhabiting our complaints. Somebody say amen. Because if you want to think about it, let's time out for just a second. When you complain, you're actually praising the devil. Okay, let's rewind and let's go back to Jesus now, okay? When you lift up the name of Jesus, you're inviting him to come in a way that he's not normally there. See, the Bible says, Jesus actually said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm right there in the midst. But I thought he said, he'll never leave me or ever forsake me. He won't. But when two or three are gathered together to play soccer, or two or three are gathered together to have a sandwich, or two or three are gathered together to worship, that's a different thing. He says, that's where my presence is, my manifest presence. And what is it? It's the kingly rule, the reign of God. When we praise him and we exalt him, the enemy flees and is silent. Jesus comes into this midst. He sits on the throne and he judges, not you, but he judges evil. He scatters evil all the way with his eyes, the Bible says. Not only does he do that, but when he's doing that, he heals people. He brings the hope to people. He provides things for people. He reveals things to people. He shows you how much he loves you when he's there in the midst. 
he rules and he reigns and the enemy scatters. When we do that on a Sunday morning, when we do that this Friday night, when we do that next Sunday morning, we will lift up the name of Jesus. He will descend in this place. His presence will be here. He will sit upon his throne as we praise him and he will be the king. That's what's going to be taking place. That's what's going to be happening. And I promise you, almost as if I can prophesy this, that this weekend as we lift up the name of Jesus, the entire city of St. Augustine will be shaken. It'll be rocked. There'll be something that will happen in the heavenly realm and it'll descend upon our midst and we will see our city saved for the glory of God. All right, I'm done. All of that was introduction, by the way. <laughs> Here's the meat. I used to think that um, that my life was mine. That I can do whatever I want, be whatever I want, go wherever I want. And the longer I'm in this life, this Jesus following life, the more I realize that as a disciple, I don't have a choice. Because my real purpose in life is not to be a preacher, it's not to be a husband. It's not to be a father or a grandfather. Please don't miss this. The real purpose is for me to carry Jesus wherever he wants to go. That's my job. Saddle up. Saddle up. Get ready for the greatest adventure of your life. Oh, guess what? There's nothing impressive about a donkey. Can I get a good amen from that? Nothing impressive about me either. But when Jesus is on me, people see Jesus. And so I'm going to leave you with that. I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm just going to ask you a question before we sing do you know that he sees you he knows you he binds you he looses you he needs you he protects you and he uses you you yeah you're important you're part of the cause part of the family you're in the brotherhood we're one blood. And so, Father, I ask now that you would continue to speak to your people in such a way that they would know your voice, the still, small voice of God. And, Father, I pray that as we look towards Good Friday and Easter, that we will have the mindset that we will carry you wherever you go, Jesus. Where You direct the way. If there's any praise, we'll give it to you. 
We'll look to you. We'll be the beast of burden. We'll carry you gladly, willingly. So bless your people now, Father. May your face shine upon them. Wrap your strong, loving arms around them. Give them peace, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you. Why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you to also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.